It's time for the Friendly Feud. Introducing the strategic thinking and development team, Consultants to the Stars, and Detroit Discount, where the customer is always shopping. Let's start the Friendly Feud with the star of the Friendly Feud, Stu Kakriofstar. Welcome, welcome everyone. Okay, gentlemen, let's get started. Send up your first players. Come on up, shake hands. That's great. Oh, I like mustaches. Now give us a kiss. Easy there, lover. Just here for the free publicity, so ask your damned questions. How do you like that, folks? All I want is a little kiss. He wants to go straight to the sword fight. (laughs) Say, that looks a little rusty. Maybe you ought to swing that by the shop and pick up something sharper. Hey, and now, if you're selling things on my show, the studio's gonna want a cut. And Captain, put that thing away before you give Max tetanus. Okay, boys, 1,000 people surveyed, top 7 answers on the board. Name the make and model of a spacecraft that is also a poisonous animal. Captain! That'd be an anvil hornet. Hornet? This a stinger? Oh, you can Show me hornet. Number three. Okay, there are two better answers, Max. Make and model of a spacecraft that is also a poisonous animal. Animal Super Hornet. Oh, Super Hornet. Yours is bigger, yeah? Oh, show me Anvil Super Hornet. Oh, sorry, Max. You just buzz off over there and wait for me. Well, Captain, are we playing or passing? Men of fortune we are, lover. We'll not cower in the face of Lady Luck. You expect us to turn I, I tail just, to the tide of just ter- needs a one word answer spot. We're playing. Okay, well, hello there. What lovely mutton chops you have. Oh, why, thank you. I've been using this new beard oil on me whiskers once a week, and I think it really brings out the luster. Oh, John, shut it! Uh, I'm sorry. Aye, sir. Uh, now, what were the questions? 1,000 people surveyed, top seven answers on the board, make and model of a spacecraft that is also a poisonous animal. Um, the Drake Caterpillar. Oh, what kind of caterpillars are poisonous? Right, then I'll tell you what, you try eating a plate full of them beasties when you're stranded on a jungle moon and your rations run out. Sick for weeks I was, and my ankles never changed back to their proper colour nor size. Jones, Jones, let's see if anyone in our polling group chewed on your worms. Show me Drake Caterpillar. (coughs) Oh, sorry, first strike there. Okay, how you doing, old timer? Need another fruity oaty bar? I thought you only served fruity nutty bars round here, you whippersnapper. Ah, uh, we can trade twig and berry jokes later, Pop. Now, name me a make and model of spacecraft that is also a venomous animal. Uh, the Falcon de Lacey Cobra. The what? Uh, you heard me, Slugger. The de Lacey Cobra. Fastest ship in the bubble back in my day. If you say so, Pops. Okay, show me your cobra. Well, what do you know? They must not have taken the survey at Bingo Hall this week. (laughs) Hello, Pete. Hey, Stu. Everything is good, yeah? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, Did you happen to watch this game the other night? Oh, I, I didn't see how they called that last penalty. Pretty surprising. 
Yeah, the, the officiating is really gone downhill this season. Oh, will you get on with it? I've got a photo shoot in less than an hour. Right, right. Uh, okay, name a make and model of a spacecraft that is also a venomous animal. Ah, that's easy, Stu. The Drake Dragonfly. Um, th- these dragonflies, they are not poisonous. Is that right? And teams named after them can't play Sadaball worth a crap. Look, I'm I going to pay you. That's what you said last week. Oh, come on. Who could have predicted that call? If your plan weren't so bad, the refs could spoil it. You don't deserve to win. Look, I can pay you. It's just that I don't have the cash on me right now. Concentrate on this game, you lover, not the bleeding sports ball. Right, right. Uh, show me the dragonflies. Okay, salesman, here's your chance to steal. Name a make and model of spacecraft that is also a venomous animal. Well, number one with a bullet is the Fur de Lance by Zorgon Peterson. Uh, no, 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 mate, no, mate, no, mate. Everyone knows that Zorgon's adder is far more popular. That sounds dangerously close to a product endorsement, and we've already been warned by the host of the show that we. Okay, just let me think a minute. Uh, excuse me, I'd like to point out that none of these ships have proper emission control registration. Uh, emission certificates are the last. Shut thing. up, all of you! Poisonous, dimly, and lots of room for pilots and passengers inside. We're gonna go with your mom, Stu. Uh, my mom. A spacecraft that is also a venomous... Your mom! My mom. Okay. Survey says... Stu's mom. Number one answer. This game is off to a ripping start. We'll be back after these messages from Stu's mom, Starbarges Incorporated. Check put me at the range point four. This is control. Be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Fits and says, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 113 of the best damn space sim podcast ever and was recorded on Friday, March 25th. Made available for download Tuesday, March 29th over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Lennon. And I'm Max. I mean, I'm Jeff. So what do we have this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, it rises from the deep. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover Star Citizen's latest patch to hit the PTU, 2.3.0E, and the latest updates to Descent Underground. Next, I gather Tony and Lennon's thought on player-run economies. No SimPod again this week as we bump Shiv's spot to make room for an interview with our favorite add-on creator, Paul Watson of HCS Voice Packs, who has some new interesting AI additions coming soon. And finally, we tune to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the school box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. 
So, if there are any Star Trek fans out there, well, let, let me rephrase. If there are people who saw the cinematic train wreck of a film known as Star Trek Into Darkness, you folks will have an advantage over some of the other members of the audience as I paint this word picture for you. Imagine a calm stream near a wooded path. Maybe you jog there every day. Maybe it's a favorite fishing spot. Maybe it's a place to stroll and collect your thoughts. But one day, as you partake of your daily constitutional, the surface of the water churns, bubbles, and out of the placid waters bursts a swarm of krakens! That would be cracoons, or corrosion-resistant aerial covert unmanned nautical systems, designed and built by John Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab. This beastie is not a Johnny Depp-eating granddaddy octopus big enough to swallow a three-masted man-o'-war. Oh no. Rather, it's a meter-wide quadcopter drone. What makes this little toy unique is its ability to submerge itself in hundreds of feet of water, go dormant for weeks, and then rise from the deep on command. Thanks to space-age 3D printer technology and thick coats of low-tech marine-grade sealant, this hybrid helicopter will be shopped to potential military and scientific customers alike. Whether you need near-shore seismic monitors, mobile sensor platforms for testing water quality in your power plant cooling towers, or killer-hovering aquatic death machines... Johns Hopkins Applied Physics is your all-terrain, one-stop shop for the robot apocalypse. This was so cool when I saw this. I, it I, is cool to watch. It, it it's is, so smooth. I know. And it's like, well, duh. I mean, it was like a duh moment. Like, why hadn't somebody come mm-hmm. up with this? You know, with the whole drone thing that was out there. It's like, well, gee, that like was like a no-brainer. And it was like, oh, man, that was so awesome. Yeah. It's just it, the, the the video that we got on that page is just so smooth to watch. It just like it, it just it's nat- it's a, it's a natural and a swarm of a dozen of those things armed with you know lasers would, would <laughs> roast you alive. Sharks you know, you would with freaking laser beams. <laughs> oh, yeah, the sharks with the laser beams would be running scared from this thing, you know, because it pops up out of the water. Ha ha! You can't get me. And then it goes back under the water to you know shoot the sharks. And, and I, I thought this was very timely because of course the other you know fun bit of news this week was that. Uh, that Microsoft AI. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm th- I think the robot apocalypse is taking shape in front of our eyes right now. We have these all-terrain, submersible, hidden quadcopters of doom, right? And you load the AI in there. That's the Nazi genocidal uh, sex you know, robot. Dick. <laughs> uh-huh. However, it works out. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, but you combine. I mean, I think you know the robot apocalypse is taking shape in front of our our, our very eyes, and I think that uh, uh, th- this is it's a sign of things to come. What What are the range on these things as well? Is it relatively close range, or are we able to like send them internationally? Well, I mean, I think you'd have to it have to have some sort of mothership to drop them off at the location. But right. once they're there, you know. They can just go dormant and then be retrieved at pretty much any time. The range would not be like hundreds of miles or anything like that. But you wouldn't need to because they're so small and relatively inexpensive. You just put hundreds of these things out there. If you're a military of any size or or capability, you just seed a place with them. The other nice thing about these things was that they were low cost. I mean, relatively low cost. That... Yeah. You, if you lost one, you're not you're not heartbroken over the fact that it cost you. It wasn't a no. a, a million dollar drone. It, you know, it's like uh, what did I read about four thousand dollars or so? Oh, they, I'm sure they're probably a little more than that. But I mean, double that cost, triple that cost, and with that you get like you know armaments and you know armor on them, a little bit of armor on them. I mean, these things. I mean, they look like death robot swarm 
things. I mean, yeah. th- this is straight out of Austin Powers. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> it just yeah. it does it does have that 1960s sci-fi vibe to it, doesn't it? Because it's like Thunderbird. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's like it looks like a flying trash can. That's the only way I can describe it. It's got that dome top and the perfectly cylindrical body, and it it just needs a little pedal on the bottom where you can put your foot and the lid will open up, and then you can just throw your, your garbage <laughs> into it. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about this though is that with the ability to go underwater like this, this could actually potentially also have applications for um, fishing. I, I was going to say trawling, but obviously trawling tends to be a bad thing. But I can't think of a. No, that's what the Microsoft AI after. was doing. Uh, no, that's trawling. That's slightly different. Right. The, the the subtleties are in the accent. Oh, trawling. A W. Trawling versus trawling. Not trolling. Oh, okay. Oh, there we go. See, yeah, they're okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah, but even gathering data like uh, sitting dormant and gathering sensor data for fish migration patterns or, yeah, I mean, it, it could really. Also, uh, I thought about oil exploration or, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, really, yeah. the, applic- the the applications for this thing is just un- unimaginable. I mean, there's a stat, isn't there, that they reckon by 20, either 2020 or 2050, I can't remember which one, I've got a feeling it's 2050, because 2020 is quite close, that they think there will be more plastic in the oceans than fish on like a parts per million basis. This could be a very easy way to start clearing up the oceans, you know, if you attach a few a sort of garbage bags to it and just get them to go trawling. <laughs> Seriously, trolling, trolling, not trolling. There's, there's a little difference, but have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the light deck. Three one seven five Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for March 25th, 2016, 110,338,000, about 40,000. 1.327 million registered accounts, up about 6,000. And 946,000 ships in the UEE fleet, up about 3,000. And speaking of Star Citizen, as of a few hours prior to this recording, the PTU has been updated to 2.3.0e. They fixed a number of problems with the car to R. It no longer spawns on its side in the hangar, for instance. But the known issues list is still quite large. Just a quick four of particular note. Vandal Swarm in Dying Star occasionally offers the really, really easy mode where absolutely no enemies spawn. Also, accessing Arena Commander from the hangar may result in Random Mode where the ship you're flying is not actually the one you've selected. Over in Crusader, enemies at the comma rays sometimes just don't even show up at all. And the New Horizons Raceway has a new obstacle, a completely invisible wall covering the entire finish line. <laughs> Good luck with that one. On the publications side of things, the Vandal Glaive Q&As were released. Nothing particularly revelatory in it, though they did clarify that capturing and converting actual Vandal fighters will still be a thing in the universe, though they haven't figured out how the conversion quite happens yet, and that the fighter itself is actually not swing-wing for the flight. The wings fold up when the ship lands similar to the car to Arl. The Around the Verse interviews this week features Erin Roberts talking about how he and Chris fight like brothers, The subscriber's jump point for the month has been released, and there is a reprint of a jump point article detailing the development process for the car to well. Finally, there is also a behind-the-scenes video featuring the master of motion capture himself, Andy Serkis, and the video also includes the first examples of someone speaking the Vandal language. Those who are not fluent in Cleon could probably be forgiven for assuming that the two sound very, very similar. 
Separately, Ben has indicated that CRG is working on getting the Vandal language out to fans so aspiring linguists can start learning it, and the actual linguist who created it will be featured in an interview next week. In addition, although there are no other major official announcements from CIG, a lot was teased from various sources. CitizenCon tickets and physical star maps both sold out shortly after being made available. Though CitizenCon will be live streamed and Austin is doing a lot of work on shopping and persistence in the PU, including storage space and method to rearrange items in your hangars via MobiGlass. 2.3 release to live is apparently happening very soon but they want to get that spawning bug taken care of. Once that's done, the focus will be on 2.4. Among other things, that release is supposed to feature another flyable ship and another ship to rest in the hangar. Meanwhile, on the newer side of the ship pipeline, the not officially named small mining ship is likely to be the next concept ship to go on sale. The not officially named small mining ship, which I believe once upon a time was the Terrapin. Yeah, I just don't think it's been actually given a proper, proper name, has it? I don't know, Baby Turtle works. Yeah, that's that's true. I'm really excited about the Vandal language. It's, We're going to add it to Elvish, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's rare that a video game and a language kind of overlap, and I get to just go crazy on both of my hobbies, which is brilliant. I did listen to the little bit that was put out in the in the trailer, but wasn't really able to garner enough to even begin to understand what they're saying. But for those of you who haven't heard it, it does sound very like Klingon. It is very guttural. It is very harsh and angry. But then that's the mood that you know they want to evoke with the Vandal, isn't it? They couldn't really have the Vandal flying out there and being all melodious and sounding like they're happy to help you. You know, they have to make it so that the human throat can actually produce those sounds so german russian right that sort of angry sound we have french right sort of you know like you're talking melodious and you know smooth and all that kind of thing we have like a lot of african descended language with the glottal stops and more percussive sounds to it what are we missing we need some sort of like um, southern to... american i think space go. dutch the the banner would definitely space dutch if they're traders <laughs> it has to be space dutch some sort of dutch based language yeah is that a tulip sort of a joke, like a 16th century caravel sailing kind of a thing? Yeah, you're getting the there. You're getting there. Okay, all right. But yeah, so 2.3.0e now out. How do you think they managed to introduce such a bug where either no enemies would spawn or you would end up in a completely different ship in Arena Commander? Because I thought those two things were kind of locked down. We've had so many patches so far where this has never been an issue. This, this is how I guess it works. I mean, you, they're doing a lot of stuff on the back end, and something in the back end is connected to something else on the back end. Mystery and wizardry and wonder, as, as far as I can tell. What are your guys' thoughts on physical goods for games like this, like the star map? And also, obviously... I'm mad. Sorry? I'm mad. You didn't get one then? Okay, so I'm, I'm guessing that physical goods are actually something that you look forward to having for things like this. I paid for it. Um, I mean, the, it was, it's, it's, it's part of the package. Oh, right, yeah, so you're still getting yours, though. Someday. Yeah, you're just not getting it in this run. That's the only thing. Yeah, I bought it in 2013. Right, okay. So you're thinking... I'm a little upset about that. So you're thinking <laughs> that they should have done it first to their existing backers rather than putting them on sale? Well, yeah, they, they sold a product as part of a package... That was, and I, I, I agree with Tony. I'm, you know, how dare you bring up the star map? I mean, uh, <laughs> really, you they pre-sold this. You know, it's like, 
oh, you, you backed this? Oh, and you paid for that product as part of that? That that was a selling point? Oh, thumb down on you, bucko, because we want to make some more money and we want to, you know, stick it to you guys so that we can get some more money for the stuff that we did produce. Yeah, from a purely cold business standpoint, it's the rational decision. People like me, people like Jeff, we make a podcast where the diehards we're not going anywhere over a poster. It's just not a thing that's happening. On the other hand, you might be able to make some quick cash. Those same people might pay more money to get the poster now, and then you know they'll also get another poster later too, right? From a purely cutthroat business standpoint, I get it. But it's, again, it's just another, another trip down the slippery slope of unfulfilled promises. Your most loyal, longstanding backers get knocked to the back of the line again because you'll wait we know you will you'll wait and it just it's 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 another one of those sort of disappointing feelings yeah i feel i should try and steer it back a little bit and try and reclaim the anger um i wasn't necessarily so much talking about the star map itself but just more the concept of physical items and merchandise is it something that you think that they should spend more time on less time on well if they do it like this less time absolutely because simply they are not fulfilling their orders and if you can't fulfill your orders, then you should have no business doing it. There's two things going on here. Number one, when we made a patch, a lot of people signed up for Patreon. I mean, not, not a lot, but we saw a big jump in the Patreon subscribers because basically we set it up that if you subscribe long enough, you're going to get a patch. We set it up as a random drawing, but there's lots more patches that we have on hand than subscribers to our show. So just, just hang out for a while, you'll get a patch. So physical goods mean things to people. It's a, it's a tangible connection to a thing you like. The other thing that's kind of fun is that it generates more excitement and advertising than just the word of mouth that you get from people being excited about a video game. The fun example I was just uh, looking at earlier this week, sorry I'm going to bring politics into it just a little bit, but John Oliver, thank you, Lennon, and all of the people of Great Britain for sending John Oliver over. He's selling these hats that say, Make Donald Trump again. Now, I don't care where you are on the political spectrum, but it's a, a physical symbol of a funny thing or a fun thing that John Oliver did on his show. And Jay-Z wanted one, right? <laughs> and his point was is that, fine, we'll send Jay-Z a hat, but if his wife wants one, we're no longer a comedy show. We're a hat company. Right. That's the line. That's the problem. And I think that that's maybe where, where Jeff was going with, with his concept is that if you're going to be investing time and resources and trouble into making these doodads and not delivering them to the people that are going to love the doodads because they love your overall product, they just want the doodad. They just want a cool thing. If you're not going to cater to that base of people that love your product because they love your product, not because they want a tangible goodie. Uh, and I think that's an issue. Is CIG a hat company or are they making a video game? I know an answer I want to hear. Yeah, I also think that, you know, my personal view on, on the star map issue is that I also feel that for a lot of backers, there's also that um, exclusivity argument to be made again. That when we backed, we were backing to get things like the star map, the physical USB drive in the shape of a starship, you know, all these extra goodies that it wasn't necessarily said that they would or wouldn't be available, but they were strongly suggested that if you want these goodies, you have to get in now at the ground zero when the club is fresh to get your secret I was in the early days t-shirt 
Whereas now everybody can just buy them if they give money over. And that, I think, is also part of the backlash that has been seen about this, is that anybody who's backed previously was almost like promised this item in exchange for your money now and will give you something cool that nobody else will have. And it actually turns out, oh, wait a second, people can actually have it. Uh, the exclusivity thing, Lennon, I mean, I'm traumatized enough by the whole thing that, I've, that it's, I'm numb to that even now. I mean, I wasn't in early enough to get a lot of the exclusive type goodies. I'm the middle guy, right? I'm the middle child. Yeah. Jeff's the old, and you're the new. We're on that spectrum. I don't even care. It's, it's it, I've stopped. I've stopped even caring about it. My problem is that if your early people don't get first dibs, why bother being an early person? And, and I think Lennon, your point is that well, they've chopped off one reason to be an early person because hey, it's not exclusive anymore, and now they're chopping off another reason to be an early person. You're not first in line anymore. Somebody can pay a few more bucks and get in line ahead of you. You know, and again, the ship has sailed. So from a cutthroat business perspective, hey, they've got my money and they're not giving it back. I get it. But it's just it, it's just another that could have been done. You, you don't you don't build trust with your customers that way. No. More news coming to us from the tunnel dwellers in Austin who are making Descent Underground. This week, we hear news that the next map to be released will be Skylab. And it is, quote, super fun, end quote. Descent Underground will be launching in the Octopus Rift store, and they've started making the game Vive compatible. And the item we'll see more sooner-ish than later-ish will be the Match Browser, allowing you to see matches in progress and letting you pick which ones to join, hopefully killing the whole putting you into a match second before it ends bug at the same time. Yes, that thing can't come soon enough. Lately I found my gaming time limited, so I've been playing a lot more Descent Underground, just jumping in, trying to do quick matches. And very recently, out of seven matches that I tried to join, four of them were ending in the next sort of 60 seconds. So, mm. you know, I mean, it was, luckily enough, you know, it's such a short time that you just either quit straight out and yeah. jump into another or you, you wait through. But it's just the hassle of having to go through it to get to a match that you can actually partake in. I really would like to see them do continual rooms. Like, let's say that uh, Guard Frequency had a room and we just had a cycle of maps going on. That would be really, really cool. We could yeah. just jump in and hang out and just cycle through the maps and then you wouldn't be worried about when a match ended. Or Yeah, because or... another one would be starting up as soon as the previous one. If it Kind of like how um, Counter-Strike would do right. it. You'd load yeah. in a series of maps and then just rotate through. I like that idea. Well, let's let's make that happen, Descent Underground people. Yeah, let's let's just hope they're tuned to the guard. They better be tuned to the guard. Yeah, they better be. Actually, the amount of times I mispronounce Wingamanga, probably not a good idea. <laughs> so now it's time for news we didn't use. Infinity Battlescape's developers have finally got triplanar mapping working, meaning that they are able to bring the ship's models to life. PC Gamer hosted a gaming expo recently, and they now have video posted covering some of the time they spent with CIG devs. We get our very first look at new Indie Space Sim Void Ranger, as it shows off its flight mechanics and collision testing. Nexus, the Jupiter Incidents, has seen its first major update in 12 years, featuring HD resolutions, modern systems compatibility, multiplayer, and a whole lot more. No Man's Sky has had a small UI update as the inventory screen is now transparent, which is very helpful since you can't actually pause the game. And Elite Dangerous tease a 2.1 update with a sneak peek of a ship on approach to the ground base of one of the elusive engineers.
that screenshot's awfully pretty. It the, is very pretty, isn't it? Of the uh, engineer base. Yes, it'll be in the show notes for anybody who's interested. It just looks so beautiful. Just the, the way that the lighting is set and the, the 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 way the color of the asteroid contrasts with the bright blue of the ship's engine drills. You know, Lennon, I've often thought that the contrast of the exhaust is probably the most striking of the various visual cues in Lee Dangerous. Jeff, your thoughts? Nah, I don't have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> But it's still a very pretty screenshot, and you should definitely check it, it out. Um, but I have a bone. Uh-oh. You know, I pick on Star Citizen a lot, right? I pick on CIG when I think they're doing shenanigans or not making good calls. I have a bone to pick with Frontier. Do you need your uh, soapbox? Because I... Uh, yeah, a little bit. A little, a, do we have a, like a small soapbox? Um, I've, I've probably got something smallish. I think it's an apple crate. Is that any good? That, okay. Yeah, that'll work. Deploy that'll the work. apple crate. Okay, okay, good, good. Is this thing on? Okay. All right. Little small soapbox here, a little small apple box. I caught a news item recently that Frontier has deferred revenue from the Horizons expansion until the 2016-2017 tax year. Now, what I'm a little bit perturbed about is that in order to sort of justify that, they're citing their decision to push back the release of this 2.1 engineers. So this smacks to me a little bit of sort of like a cross of between financial engineering and you know developmental quote delays frontiers prior modus operandi to be blunt is that they release something it sucks at first and then they tweak it wings wasn't great when it first came out there were lots of bugs when season 2. Point, uh, when horizons launched and whether it's server instability and you get kicked off a bunch but they fixed it but now they're like no 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 we need to take some more time and polish things up right oh and by the way this will lower our tax bill for this year. Shh, don't tell anyone. So it just seems to me like, come on. Is, is that it, just not a case of one thing having a, a sort of hidden benefit, though, rather than something that's necessarily causal? Well, this, you know, eh, they're British. Right. And, and, and because they're in the sneaking sobs that they are. Uh, <laughs> Present company excluded, of course. Yeah. No, no, I'm fully up for or, this. Or, Keep going. Or, or, or included, maybe. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't think they do anything that's, that has a bonus effect. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. Again, from a cold-hearted business standpoint, sure, that's fine. But that's that tension between being a customer and being a shareholder. You know, if you're a customer service-oriented thing, maintain your customers' expectations. Give us the system that is, you know, good and good enough or you think is bug-free on the more regular rotation. Fix the problems that you have and then move forward. The timing was suspicious as far as I'm concerned and a little bit contrived that this just so happens to be the thing that happens. And... Uh, Again, they're running a business. It's just it's a customer versus shareholder tension that just seemed to me was the wrong call to make. Little soapbox. I understand it, just like the posters, cold-hearted business standpoint. It just seems like your customers miss out, and it hurts my feelings. Well, something that might make your feelings a little more uh, fluffy again. Nexus the Jupiter incident had its first major update in 12 years. So 12 years after their last big patch, they have now gotten another patch. I know. I used to play that game. I I, I, I gave it up uh, six years or more. Ago. Yeah, seriously. So you know, dig it out because now it supports. Well, so some of the improvements are it now supports sixteen by nine rather than just four by three screen sizes. The textures actually look really nice because they've kind of updated it for HD. And adding multiplayer is pretty good. One of the things about this story though that really makes me laugh is that. People were then asking, you know, well, why is it taking 12 years to get another patch? And apparently, 
the company that originally made it went bankrupt, that's fine. They got acquired by somebody else. But in the acquisition, the source code just got entirely lost. And it's basically taken them 12 years to discover exactly which DVD or whatever the source code was on in order to hand it over for a patch to get rid of it. That's a lot of well, DVDs. Well, you got yeah. to understand, I, I believe, if I remember right, a Hungarian development company Correct. Uh, 12 years ago. I mean, we're talking Hungary, right? <laughs> so Yeah, and if you thought the British were... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, so, Jeff still hasn't forgiven them for the Austro-Hungarian Ottoman War. Yeah, I have. <laughs> you can imagine why it's taken, you know, <laughs> this long. I frankly didn't expect to see it again. I really didn't. It's kind of interesting news. Yeah, me neither. Well, I never played it when it first came out. And if anyone's interested, it's $2.49 on Steam. Last week's talk about DLC led to an inevitable discussion about economics, which got us thinking. Space sims have economies, too. But who should be in charge of them? That's what we're here to find out. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us player-run economies. I will give you each 30 seconds to present your case and then a further 30 seconds to reply. As a result of the coin flip, Tony is up first, then Lennon is second. So Tony, please tell us why the AI should be the primary economic driver. Jeff, the AI should be the primary economic driver because that's where the game designers designed the game. Uh, anytime you have something as intricate as a, even an in-game economy, you are relying on the uh, design and the uh, thought processes and the time and trouble that they spent to make the system work. You can have players nibble around the edges of it and participate in it, but in order for it to continue to function as designed, it's got to be run by the AI. Tony, you ignorant slut. It might be okay for a developer to have a vision of it, but they can never truly say what is important to a player, and that's one of the good things about having a sandbox environment is the emergent gameplay aspect of it. A lot of the times when a creator creates an item in the game, they kind of have an intended purpose for it, but they don't know how the community will actually use it. So for the community to be able to place supply and demand on particular items based on usages that the developer never foresaw is the reason why you need the entire economy to be player-driven. Lennon, the entire game is a system. Each system has component parts, and each component part has a, ser uh, a, a, a service that it provides the game as a whole. If the game designer doesn't know how it's going to be used, it's poor design. Now, supply and demand are fine, but the game designer should take that as feedback as to whether or not the players are using the components in the manner that was anticipated, and then react to that feedback, again, maintaining control. Yeah, Tony, you ignorant slut. Once again, the whole thing isn't necessarily about what the developer is trying to force upon us. It's about our immersion within the environment itself. And if there are things that are completely outside of your control, which should be within your control, you wouldn't accept a developer uh, purposely saying, you know, your flight mechanic has to be like X and this has to be like Y, when you can actually sit in the cockpit and control it yourself. The economy is just another system over which players should have control in order to make the game feel more alive. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Jeff, where do you stand on it? Well, I've seen good economies and I've seen bad economies, and I've seen overinflated economies and economies ruined you've by. You've seen fire and you've seen rain. Yeah. And I've seen economies ruined by, you know, the gold farmers and 
I think a good economy is well controlled by the developers. I don't trust players as far as I can shoot them across the galaxy. <laughs> That's kind of a long way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of have to agree with Jeff. I think I got the side I really do come down on. I, I look to our kind of standard model, you know, or one we all understand, Star Trek Online. Their time currency versus cash currency. That's been remarkably stable over the lifetime of that game has designed floors and ceilings at 50 dilithium to one zen, you know, basically a penny for 50 dilithium, uh, all the way up to 500 dilithium for one zen, or about a penny. So, I mean, but within that, the developers let it fluctuate. When they release new goods or services that require the dilithium, the price adjusts accordingly. You know, dilithium becomes more scarce as people try to use it. When they go a long time during a, quote, content drought and people have time to build their stocks of dilithium up, the price of dilithium drops. I mean, it's predictable but manageable. And, again, players do run it, quote, run it, but it's, you know, it's it's, it's bounded by the developers. Yeah, I, th- I do think that, honestly, that that is probably the happy medium solution here is to have it uh, ran within limits. But at the same time, you do end up with uh, another cryptic game, Neverwinter. Their Astral Diamond market was just that bottomed out for such a long time, to the point where Astral Diamonds, even though they were a time-based currency, which is their version of dilithium, it was just so easy to obtain obtuse numbers of them that it didn't even make it worthwhile actually buying Zen to convert into Astral Diamonds because you could almost make a Monty Python sketch of it, like open the, the bedside cabinet drawer, there's some Astral Diamonds, you know, go to make a cup of tea and look in your mug and there's some Astral Diamonds and then when you pour the water out of the kettle, it's not water, it's Astral Diamonds. Did you ever see the, uh, or did you ever read the, uh, the Douglas Adams book, Life, the Universe, and Everything, where Arthur Dent crashes on Earth, on ancient Earth with Ford Prefect? And the idiots that were the one-third of the population that were the telephone sanitizers in the advertising. Yes, 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 yes. They crash yes. landed on Earth and turned leaves into currency. Yes. Yes. It was like it was like Pretty that. much. That's exactly, you're, yeah, you're exactly right. That's exactly right. So, yeah, it, but that's that's a good contrast where uh, an economy that's that should be sort of controlled and run herd on wasn't. It wasn't managed properly. And it just makes certain kind of gameplay unrewarding. Yeah. And this week's community question. We want to hear your thoughts on player-run economies. Does it help with immersion to have control over the monies as well as your ship? Or should we stick true to playing the version designed for us? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's check in with Paul Watson of HCS Voice Packs for a little update on one of our favorite UI editions. Authenticate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher, a cipher wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. Jeff and I are here with Paul Watson of HCS Voice Packs. There's been a big announcement about your next voice actor. Can you tell us who you have up next for a voice pack? I can't tell you that. Oh, sorry, let me just get out of William Shatner mode. I've been thinking like him. Um, <laughs> but the next voice, perhaps? Yeah, it's uh, William Shatner himself, or or Bill to his friends, and uh, William to the rest of us. <laughs> so what was it like recording with Shatner? Were you recording in person, or was it uh, was it a remote? Uh, well, the first session we did uh, live in, in, in Hollywood, well, Studio City, I mean, it was, it was a phenomenal place, uh, and uh, the best surroundings in the world to do any studio work. 
The second session was we did some retakes of some of the stuff and we did that over Skype uh, a few weeks later. But we, you know, we always uh, double check everything, make sure everything's in line. If we're not quite happy with something or they're not quite happy with something, then we'll re-record that. And I did that over Skype here. Was he fun to work with? Yeah, I mean, when if you can just in, uh, picture it for a moment, you you arrive at a studio. Um, it's not a studio I'm familiar with. So once I was sat in the studio, the sound tech just said, right, okay, um, I believe William Shatner's here. Here's your coffee. I think he's just getting his coffee and he'll be through. Uh, okay, then I says, fine, wonderful. And uh, I was left on my own for about three minutes, which, which felt, I guess, like... Um, well, anyway, it felt like a long time. So, and uh, he just walked in and uh, sat down. I was with him for about 15 minutes or so, and he was uh, very inquisitive about the product and the educational aspects for it and things like that. He had a lot of questions. Well, good. At least he asked questions. I, I hope he was enthusiastic. Yeah, he was. I mean, the man is terrifically professional, astute, very, very professional. And, you know, it's, it's, it's of no surprise to me. But I think some people just think it's a, hi, hello, let's just get on with this. But he's extraordinarily professional. And you mentioned last interview, last time we had you on, you had to do more writing than you expected the first time, as actors tend not to write their own script for this sort of thing. That said, was there any ad-libbing that turned out good? Or was it basically just following the script? Uh, yeah, there's a bit of behind-the-scenes footage on the, that went out with the trailers. It's very short, but uh, you may not catch it, actually, but he's, he's, he's addressing me in terms of there's an opportunity of... Well, this is how he put it. There's an opportunity of fun had here. And he was... He, <laughs> sorry, it's not a very good impression, I know, but, <laughs> look, you know? <laughs> but what he did is he said, um, because we've got a script where we have to have the responses right on the money, because some people are very, very serious about playing. And although we want to have fun in there, we've got to make sure we've got them normally. So with that in mind, we gave him some elements of freedom with some of the responses which uh, come up in the pack. So yeah, there is some nice stuff in there. What was the thing that most excited you about this particular voice pack? Well, personally, um, I grew up with the original series. I mean, I was born in 1970, so, you know, as a seven or eight-year-old kid with, with Star Wars and everything else going on, it was prime era for science fiction. I just found the whole thing quite surreal and hairs on the back of your neck stuff it, it's a science fiction legend so i was really a fanboy trying to remain professional but I, I i didn't fail at that i mean i put on a fantastic performance and it's called orion right why did you choose that name the constellation orion it's visible in the night sky i often look up and stargaze if it's a clear night in the uk that's about once every decade or so but it stands out for me orion orion the hunter you have the Orion Nebula. I wanted to build something and a character that would feel all right to order around because let's face it, we know the guy's history and the characters he's played. And for some, it wouldn't seem right just suddenly ordering this guy around. I mean, can you imagine that? So used to seeing him in uh, roles where he's a commanding bridge officer, you know, the whole Star Trek thing, he's, he's the captain or whatever. I mean, he's Admiral Kirk, isn't he, in the end? And... Uh, at the end of the day, you can't go ordering him around in a, in a little spaceship. For a man of his stature and uh, his, you know, he's a, I mean, he, he's, he was born a long, long time ago, long before us guys sitting here. 
I don't think I've experienced somebody that can pull that off. I guess Tom Baker, again, around about the same age. I mean, they're, they're incredible, uh, these guys, and they're still professional. Uh, to be working that late in life and still pulling it off is, is uh, you know, that's magic. All right, well, thanks for giving us some of your time, Paul, this evening. And we look forward to uh, hearing what's next for Voice Packs. But the next Voice Pack, well, like, you know, there's a couple of rumours... Um, yeah, I mean, you'll have to wait and see on those. Now, do you think that it's as popular as, say, the ship's cat? We know the ship's cat was very popular add-on. How is the ship's cat? Any- well, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know where he is. I haven't heard him for quite some time. Maybe he... I don't see the ship's cat. Stroking a cat is widely believed to be therapeutic. Would you like me to locate the ship's cat? Uh, actually, no, that's not necessary right now. Well, thanks again for joining us, Paul. Now let's tune to the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say his real name is just a pun in Hungarian, and that he's the only human who knows how to say peace and hugs in Vandul. But all we know is he's called the Shiv and he helped put together this week's feedback. DLC, are bite-sized add-ons to your game something you look forward to, or do you just wish they'd offer everything available in one go? Maybe you hate the concept of both DLC and expansions. Hey, we're not going to judge. Well, Exteriore Spatium kicks us off with, I really hate DLC, and I hope it never comes to Star Citizen. Amontillado says, if it's a game I'm enjoying and interested in, more content is of course something I'm looking forward to. Like anything, though, it can be abused or implemented poorly. For an example of a great DLC implementation, consider The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. They offered a base game with loads of content, provided a series of DLC for free, then charged for a pair of true expansions. Very well done. Krell writes, I don't think they really have a problem with the concept of DLC when it comes to expansions. Where I have a problem is where it is the nickel and diming. Look at Evolve, for example. The game's Xbox One DLC hub spans four pages and includes 44 items. Both bundles and individuals get for purchase a quick breakdown. 24 skins are available for $1.99, while 9 are priced at $2.99. If you purchase each item individually, then it will cost you $74.67. However, buying all the available bundles, there are 8 for $4.99 and 3 for $6.99, rings in at $60.89. None of that is included in the game's season pass or the DLC associated with it. Silent Hunter says, I've bought a fair amount of DLC over the years for a number of games, although I rarely pay full price for a pack, usually acquiring them in sales. You should not have to pay any more than a single cost for a complete game, but anything that adds something substantially new or extra for a low price is something that I'd consider. The price factor is what put me off buying the season 2 pass for Elite Dangerous, a tenner maybe, but not 20 quid. Happy Easter to you all. Quid. That's like a guinea, right? That's close to a guinea. It's halfway between a guinea and a halfpenny, uh, which is a little more than okay. a shilling, but less than a bob. Okay, all right. As long as you don't get into farthings, I'm good. I'm good. No, no, no. Okay. We, we've banned those that under the Geneva Convention. Okay, So good. Thank God. Yeah. Well, I, I like the Witcher 3 comparison because that is an established IP with a long track record, and that's somebody taking care of their franchise, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've owned, I own all the Witcher series and, and, and played them all, and GOG, which stands for Good Old Gamers, is really a compilation of gaming people. And they understand, they really do understand the gaming world. And so I, I really, I have to agree that they, they, do, they do it right. I got 
free DLC, and I and I also bought the season pass when I bought originally bought uh, Witcher Three, and uh, you know I got it all, uh, and I can't complain. And it was a good price too. So you know, being previous owner of the other two Witchers. Yeah, another company that I want to highlight for doing really good DLC is Paradox. These guys, the way that they do their DLC model is that they will release a game. And then they start developing DLC, so they're not the sort that like withhold part of the game. They always make sure that the game is developed first. But then when they do it, the way that they actually produce it is that you get an absolute ton of free features. And then the DLC will expand on those just a little bit more. So every sort of couple of months you're getting a new patch with what is effectively a, uh, if you were to take any other game, a DLC's worth of fixes and changes and new features and bonuses and everything like that but if you want to just give them an extra couple of dollars for it then you get so much more included with that free patch for one of a better term so uh, like using the elite model you know i for if you just bought the base game you get the graphics updates 64 bits all the different you know back-end updates but if you buy the expansion pass you can land on planets that comparable um sort of it's more that they would like allow planetary landing they it would be the equivalent of even if you don't buy horizons you get all the benefits of being able to do planetary landing and everything like that but you'll be able to do planetary landing you just might not be able to set up a moon base if you see you know so they give you like the major part of the feature which is going planet side but if you want to do anything beyond the basics on going planet side then that would be included in the paid dlc and then usually what you find is that if that's in like dlc one when it comes to dlc two they usually make that feature free a bit later so you've then got that like cascade okay. model there as well no that sounds like that's a, that sounds like a great model you know your, your early adopters or your enthusiastic people they pay for the privilege of being the early adopters and help you work out the bugs yeah the problem I have with console games, and, and Krell was right, I mean, if you look at some of the Xbox games, it goes back to the early Xbox where, you know, you didn't get, which I think the whole debate between console and PC games is originally started from, you, you don't really get a complete game. You end up buying a piecemeal, which can be a good thing because maybe you want to spend a dollar on, on a suit of shiny armor, but you don't want you know every piece of suit of armors or or piece of armor that that's available in a pack my god it's just crazy on 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 consoles and i'm not picking on xbox because it's xbox I, i'm talking about consoles in in general so you're talking about xbox and playstation right or wii or whatever the, the oh yeah i guess the wii is well, the wii is sort of guilty about this uh too but i mean it seems like microsoft is is more guiltier ish at least from my from where I, I stand on it, they're really per- pushing the entire software as a service model across their entire corporation. Well, yeah. you got to yeah. realize that the Xbox grew up with kids, you know, uh, that are now turning into their twenties and getting jobs, and and now they're you know they're still the Xbox generation, and they're and they're buying these things. I mean, it, it's just silly. Damn kids, bring my fruity anymore. Well, in general feedback, Poxwar writes in, I am the proud owner of a Starfarer and holding on to a Gemini upgrade for it. After seeing the Starfarer on ship shape, I couldn't stop thinking, I never want to leave this ship. I could play and fly this thing forever. I was wondering if it had the same effect on you guys and if that concerns you. If every multi-crew ship is this cool, how are we going to get people to fly in each other's ships? I can't wait to captain my Gemini, but I'm pretty sure my friends will want to captain their Aquila, Reclaimer, and Merchantman. The desire to solo play a multi-crew ship is going to be immense. 
Do you think CIG will change their position on NPCs to allow us to play Star Trek in Star Citizen? Do you guys see this being a problem long term? Well, luckily, um, I've got a mod crew ship, the freelancer, and yes, I do have that same, this is the coolest ship ever, I'm never going to want to fly anything else. But luckily, I also have a load of scrubs for friends who I know I can get to go in the second seat, so... Just, just find oh, poorer friends. That's all you've got to do. You, you have friends, Lennon. Well, I say, I say friends. I kind of pay them, so I don't really know oh, if that's okay. true friendship. But well, you must not pay them very much because apparently they're still poor. Yeah, it's, it's a fine line. You've got to, you've got to balance the books carefully on that one. Pay too it's much, they buy problem. their own ship. Don't pay them enough, they're not your friend. You know, fine yeah. line. <laughs> a tightrope you're a master yeah it's, you're, you're an you're an acrobat it's it's more that i do a gamer run economy you know i just pay for, there you go yeah. you met it's it's kind of it's a little outside what you know the, the, the traditional you know dev designed exchange system yeah but we're british we're always up to something sneaky so that's right the ulterior motives abound i i do see this as a problem though if cig is going to aggressively cap the npcs and what they're going to need to do is keep the npc cap reasonable even if they try to monetize it and give people incentives to help their buddies out you know uh, make it so that it's profitable to jump into that turret every once in a while rather than go solo and have your npcs crew it Um, i i think that that's that's a gameplay thing that can be addressed through good design making appropriate incentives to help your buddies out and Kev from Chicago says, No, Tony, Ostron is right. The player-made moon base is shaped like an eggplant emoji. Shame on you, Tony. I get that confused. It's, it's, I, 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 I get that confused frequently. Yeah, it's not hard. It, clearly it's not, but it is sort of vegetable-shaped. That is true. No new Patreon subscribers this week. Remember, only you can prevent podcast fires by becoming a Patreon. And the winners of a brand new patch are Jason. Quick reminder of this week's community question. We want to hear your thoughts on player-run economies. Does it help with immersion to have control over the monies as well as your ship? Or should we stick true to playing the version designed for us? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or a post on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Did we successfully buy low and sell high? Or is our economic bubble about to be burst? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak. Or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, you can always shoot an email to squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us will be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 113 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 114 on April 5th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And right now, our audio team is expanding, so if you think you know a high-quality show, when you hear it, we'd love to hear from you. You can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. 
We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly winger manga or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Just check out our website and look under the call sign section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writers, Jeff Grant, Jace Pentad, and Ken Shadow, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Okay, wait, we have to sing the sun. We have to sing the SpongeBob SquarePants song. Together. <laughs> that'll, 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 <laughs> oh, who lives in a pineapple under the sea? SpongeBob SquarePants. SquarePants. <laughs> that is, hey, that's right. <laughs> what caterpillars ain't poisonous? Right then. Did you like watch a bunch of Lindsey Graham <laughs> or something? You're just, I mean, you're just hearing it wrong. Just, <laughs> you're just hearing it wrong. Just go with it. Come on, go full Scottish, Jeff. Where, where's my Scotsman? Where's my Scotsman? Where's no, hang on. Where's my Scotsman, Jeff? Where's my Scotsman? Uh, bring me, bring me the Scotsman. I want you dripping in haggis. <laughs> want you soaked in scotch. Come on, if you got to pull out your little, you know, uh, belt with the little feathery crotch dangly thing to put over your skirt. You want me sp- do it. You want me sporting on? Is it? There we, there we go. There we go. And intro in three, two. Tony, hot singles are available in your area if you turn off the damn background music now. What a cunning linguist. <clears throat> snip, snip. Linguist. <laughs> linguist. Either way, that. snip, snip. <laughs> Unless that was a bisexual <laughs> No, but it is now. Hey. hey, did you hear the one about the blind circumcisionist? He got no. the sack. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see we'll be here all night, folks, but we're not going to be here all night. Well, <laughs> well we might be. If, I was going to say, we, we might be if Jeff doesn't get on and read his blog. <laughs> Well, shush, so I can stop laughing, I can read the copy. <laughs> 2.3's release to the live is apparently intimate, intimate. Ugh. It's apparently intimate? Apparently in, intimate. In, it's an imminent winga manga, and it's a permanent feature. Last week's talk about DLC led to the inevitable... Last week's talk about DLC led to an inevitable discussion about economics. In- inevitable. Inevitable, that's what I said. Inevitable. That's not what you okay. Last week's talk about DLC led to the inevitable. Okay, okay. The, there's a little. There's just a tiny hint of Tony. You dick. <laughs> the, Shut the. I was definitely getting. There wasn't uh, a tiny hint, Tony. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm getting bouquets of Tony's a dick and <laughs> subtle aroma of <laughs> you. <laughs> Last week's talk about DLC led to an inedible. <laughs> Sorry, you're gonna have to do that. Again. <laughs> I know. I'm just.
I'm just trying to get through it. Okay. I think, now that, I'm I think all that's messed the motto up. of the show. Now I'm all messed up <laughs> yeah, in my head. Just... Last week's talk about DLC led to a... <laughs> trying to find an... It's I words. He had trouble with imminent earlier. I know. Imminent and inevitable. And inevitable. I, I'm just, I was just trying to think of another word that would just, you know, come off the top of my head, but I, I just couldn't. <laughs>